Hey everyone and welcome to Previously in the Multiverse. I am Peter and joining me as always is Connor. Yes it is. This is our secondary DC Comics podcast, our main one of course being Comics from the Multiverse, but this show is where we go back to the past and work our way through some classic DC runs. So coming up on this episode, we'll be looking at the next part of our Post-Crisis Batman saga with Detective Comics 574, uh, the next part of our New 52 Wonder Woman run with Wonder Woman issue 0, the next part of our Mark Wade Flash run with Bizarrely Green Lantern issue 31. It's a crossover. <laughs> if you've been following along, you'll know why. Uh, we got Birds of Praise, the original run by Dixon, uh, with the Ravens issue one uh, one shot today. Uh, we got GSA issue 12, part of Jeff John's run. We got Shazam, the new beginning issue 2. And we got Batgirl issue 9 to round out the show. That's the Stephanie Brown series from Brian Q. Miller. So that is what's coming up on the show. Uh, this is also the first episode in which all the, the full video version won't exist. This is the first one where the full version is the audio, sort of exclusive, and then the video is going to be sort of caught up, and the, the seven reviews will be out on YouTube on the Comments from the Multiverse channel over about a week or so, give or take. So that is uh, that's what's happening. Uh, so not really much to add or say or, or do or anything. I'll just go straight into it. So we'll start off with Detective Comics 574. Mike W. Barr writing with Alan Davis on the art. And it's funny because I almost read the wrong thing. Because for some reason in my head, I remembered Detective being last time. And it wasn't. It was Batman. But I did see the, the first like cover. The cover on the first page of Batman. And what's so funny is that it's, it's, it's it was something about Robin possibly dying in that as well. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on right now with teasing the death of Jason Todd. And I'm not even sure if we're at the point yet where anyone was like talking about doing it or that the fans wanted it or, you know, the idea of a vote even. It, it starts wasn't. to feel like they're testing the waters though, doesn't it? To see what the reaction would be. I, I guess. But I mean, they're, they're really only just... No, I mean, in terms them. of the, the monthly cliffhanger from from the previous issue detective to this one they've got okay okay we've got a month of feedback here you know is there an outcry of no 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 you know yeah, but whatever they're happens they've not even done his origin yet though like they haven't even got to the point where they really explain who Jason is all that well unless we missed that no because uh, I'm pretty sure the, the, the next trade we're going to go through with with Batman issues or, the, or even this trade that we're already on. I'm pretty sure that actually explains Jason Todd's origin. I'm pretty sure that's part of the story. Oh, fair enough. Uh, because the, the, the front cover of Second Chances is him, like, you know, stealing the... Of the tire, yeah, you're yeah. right. So I feel like we're starting to get that. So I don't know if it's them testing the waters or more just that for some reason there was this almost, like, creative bankruptcy where they just kept teasing the death of Robin because that's all they could think of doing. I wonder if that's just a cheap and easy cliffhanger for the time. You know, yeah. Probably my guy. So this is an interesting issue where it's actually more about uh, Batman's past than it is Robin because he, he takes because we start off and it's, it's you know it's next to Crime Alley and it says oh this used to be a nice part of the neighborhood but then things went south twenty five years ago just happens to be around the time the Waynes were shot and Batman scares off a couple of potential you know robbers uh, for the clinic you know uh, Leslie Tompkins clinic and he comes you know yelling in with robin in his arms saying oh he's, he's been hurt help him so and she operates on him or whatever uh but and i, I actually really like the panel of batman sitting in the chair in the, in the hallway because it's very much the traditional waiting room kind of like hospital shot but he's just in the bat suit and i thought this, that was really interesting this is visual. an image i've seen used quite a bit yeah um, and it is gorgeous actually i think there's some really great art in this issue and some layouts in particular 
um the title page with him you know coming in from the rain carrying robin the cape in tatters but flowing in places looks great yeah, um, or, or the even next just... page has a gorgeous layout yeah and even just the uh the rain dripping down batman's cape as he's, he's back turned to leslie the top of the same page as the the waiting panel yeah. uh, a lot of good stuff uh I think what what hurts this issue is that how many times can we see the 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 murder of the Waynes and some of those early beats play out without just feeling like okay. <laughs> the, there are points in this issue that I really like that feel not unique to this issue, but that aren't completely overdone. Like his his college years, for example, I think are pretty interesting here. You know, I don't, you don't, yeah. don't see a lot of that. I would say that is relatively unique to this. That's where it kind of like made a turn because it does the basic kind of you know origin on him meeting Leslie, and it comes back to you know present day where now now Jason's been operated on and he's probably going to be okay, but it's not like a certainty. So he's just lying there, uh, hooked up to the IV. What I did think was interesting though is that immediately when he's talking about why he became this and why he, and why he's like let Jason like become Robin. I, thought it, I think it's interesting this issue you know came right out after batman year one finished and there's some Im- imagery in this him and this flashback about him talking about you know getting the idea to become batman that feels like it's actually based on what was in year one it does in some points there are other points that i don't know if it's just there symbolically to look like the bat or if it's if it's intended to be an inspiration the way it's presented um i was a little like uh there's a beat when he's in the, the cemetery and there's like a, an angel statue over the graves. Mm. And, you know, he's he, he, you know, he's crying and kneeling down in it and, you know, yelling up at the air. And uh, the shadow of this sta- of, of this statue forms a big bat. And it's it's a gorgeous panel, don't get me wrong. I think, yeah, I think it's one of the best-looking panels in this in this book. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, is, is that supposed to be like an inspiration beat or is it more just a, hey, look at this, Oh, no, I don't think that is. I think that's just a, a bit of foreshadowing, I guess. Now, I'm talking about the panel of the, the bat flying in the window and landing in front of him uh, in more or less the same fashion that it does in year one. Like, that's, like, taken straight from that book. So I think it's interesting that there was already... And clearly, because this would have been written before year one even finished, like, coming out. So Yeah, it was just strong strong editorial, basically. Yeah, that, this was them kind of trying to, like, link some of the elements up to make it feel... And, I think it's interesting that Detective, right after year one, decides to incorporate some of it and add a little bit more to it, like you say, with the, the college year stuff and sort of show some of these other elements. So This this kind of feels like, and I think it, given the, the timing of the release of this issue, I would put money on this is exactly why it existed. This is the issue that is for people who are only reading Detective Comics but aren't reading Batman. For whatever reason, they're not they're not reading the main Batman title. And we've just completely revamped his origin. We've done his, you know, we've just spent four issues doing year one. It's, this is the thing. And this is, okay, any of our readers who miss that, but still need to be aware of this is where we are in the universe right now. This is that, this is for them. Yeah, which makes half of it feel a little bit just redundant for us, having just read year one. And for anyone who was reading Batman at the time, which, let's face it, I'd, I'd say a good majority of people reading Detective are already reading Batman. In fact, I would say it's far more lately that almost all of detective readers are reading batman than the other way around i feel like batman's the one because it's called batman that gets Uh, i think now definitely i think at the time detective was usually a consistently higher seller as as a rule uh i i I don't know that for sure i've never looked into what the sales figures were at the time but certainly now that's the case where batman because it's the one that's called batman because people for some reason 
it doesn't matter which one's better the one that's just called batman just sells better because it says batman I, I think at the time detective had the prestige it had the higher number it was the counterpart to action comics it, it felt very much no this is the quote-unquote flagship and batman was the extra book um, of course, that wasn't always true in the stories that were being told, but I think that's how it was perceived in terms of how they ultimately sold. Well, regardless, I mean, you would agree that a high percentage of people reading Detective were also reading uh, Batman. Probably at least 70%, if not more, specifically for those issues. You know, th- th- that's something where stores would have spoken, hey, we've got a, a high-profile team coming on to do this You know, new origin, because the, 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 the retailers will have known that was what was coming when they were selling the issues, and they'd have tried to upsell to a lot of people, probably successfully. Yeah, if I'd imagine those four issues of Batman significantly improved sales from the issues before just because I of what they were. I would be shocked if they didn't. Uh, so, yeah, we get this college stuff where he practiced, you know, putting on disguises to be like a, a good student because actual Bruce Wayne had to be a little shithead who, 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 was, who was just a prick in the classroom. He had to be, he had to be a rich prick. Yeah. Uh, and he, he practices uh, breaking and entering skills uh, on the campus and things like that. And uh, he kind of softened everything by, you know, paying for a for a library <coughs> yeah that was that was when some of the professors thought you know oh you know that wayne he's he's not very good let's try and kick him out because he's he, he doesn't belong here so he just donated some money to to, to the uh to the board to make sure that, that they that he keeps his place yeah so he talks about you know jason wanting to have something of a childhood so he's letting it get all this out of his system so unlike him he's not just fixated on it his whole life um but of course Jason wakes up and he says look I, you don't have to do this anymore if you don't want to and Jason's like are you kidding we've got work to do and it just ends in this you know sunny panel the the, the dawn behind the, the building of Batman and Robin smiling in the sky it's, you know, it's a bit cheesy it's, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, kind of typical moment uh you know, it's it's all right. So, but I think it's interesting that you know we we've been joking about you know killing Jason and how much, how often that seems to be coming up. I think it's interesting that this issue jason's peril and near-death experience is far is is far more about bruce than it is about jason it's just about this this is it's just to examine bruce's past and talk about some of these key details so pretty much i I always like this this sort of issue not in terms of the structure of this issue but more uh you know leslie prodding bruce to kind of be better um i always like that stuff when that happens no leslie's a good character I, i think she's solid in here it's uh it's an interesting one because it is kind of this re- almost half redundant because of what just came before it. That said, though, the art's really good, and some of the beats that are in there actually are some of the best that Detective on its own has had since we started reviewing Detective from this era. This if era, if so. you take the first, like, three or four pages of this and then the back half of this issue, if you just cut out the bit that's kind of redoing the year one stuff, this would easily be my favourite issue of Detective that we've had so far. Like, easy, it, it might be anyway. But it would yeah. be like you know leaps and bounds above the other stuff. If if I didn't have like maybe a third to a half of the issue just being like, eh, okay, I just kind of read this in let's be honest in a better way. Yeah, because because the stuff reiterating the origins essentially just the classical way of doing it with a couple of flashback pages. You know, unlike the actual interesting nuance that comes with actually doing a proper series about that entire time. So. It's kind of a kind of in a weird place in that sense. It's not a bad issue though, and like you say, there's some really nice panels. I, I like I say, I I love that that panel of Batman just waiting outside the hospital room. I, I think it's actually a really well done little moment. Yeah, um, absolute massive shout out to the coloring as well. Uh, all the the reds and the yellows and the oranges are 
absolutely gorgeous and they really stand out as being very different to anything we've been reading in detective which is kind of revolved around a lot of uh pale colors right it's been a lot of mm. like blues and grays and whites yeah yeah as far as ratings go uh i think i would give this like a, a nice solid seven i can't really go higher because some of it just feels a bit too redundant but the moments that do sing really do raise it above what it otherwise would be that's fair i'm actually going to give it a 7.5 um just because the art i think is that good that even those redundant beats are still some of some of the gorgeous stuff to look at in the, those sections um but i mean if those if those sections weren't so redundant this would have been an 8.5 quite easily i think wonder woman issue zero that's right we've reached we've done a whole year of wonder woman u52 because it's time for that September period of the 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 zero issues. Uh, although technically, this but this have been actually before issue twelve. I think we talked about this at the end of the last review. Uh, in terms of, but the, the the trade had it here at least. The trade had it. No, it was it was always after twelve. Was it always twelve? Twelve would have been if if one was September. Ah, oh, you're right. Twelve you're would right. have been August. Yeah. So yeah, this is Wonder Woman issue zero. Which I I mean I definitely stopped reading the book by then anyway. So I'd never read this zero issue. Uh, it's a pretty unique zero issue as the zero issues go i think from what i remember from some of them i mean i have forgotten pretty much i can i remember one of the batman zero issues was the story of how all the robins and batgirls saw the signal turn on for the first time and i actually thought that was an okay little idea yeah i think the main bat i mean it might have been part of that but the main batman one i think was teasing the um the red hood gang stuff yeah that, that, that was coming up it may have been detective i'm thinking of but whatever one it was I, I remember thinking that was an okay idea for the for the zero issue uh that said though as a concept i hated it because it meant every book took a break from its arc and i don't mind like eight, and you know one series taking a break for a flashback issue but when all of them do it at the same time it was extremely it was, tedious it was very frustrating even though i think it's fair to say that some of the issues were good like some of them the, the creators rose to the task and came up with a good solid issue some of them made it really relevant to their books others just kind of went I don't really know what to do here and you've just told me i have to so just take this yeah pretty much uh and this this is an interesting story concept uh we have young diana on themyscira basically forming a, a relationship with aries who shows up and wants to train her and she trains with with him in secret uh feeling feeling sort of isolated from her her sisters thinking she's made from clay of course, that goes against what we've learned in this series, but obviously Diana doesn't know that yet because she's only like 12. Contextually, it all works. And yeah, so you've got the story of, of him training her and then eventually sort of putting her through these various tests, uh, essentially fighting her to the death when she demands that she use a real blade. Chooses mercy on her, doesn't kill her when he wins the fight, but on her 13th birthday, wants her to sort of prove herself yet again in another way and he takes her down to uh, essentially this maze beneath a secret part the labyrinth yeah the, the labyrinth yeah it's the you know the minotaur in the, in the labyrinth uh, and she goes down there and she actually much like the the you know in this case it's a magic lasso she's using but you know she actually has the you know the rope tethering her to the entrance so she can get back out um and she fights the minotaur wins the fight uh the minotaur's down and Ares shows up, gives her a sword, and says, "You must finish it. You must, you know, kill it, defeat your enemy. You're a warrior." Yada yada yada. And she looks at her own reflection in the Minotaur's eye and chooses not to because this is a helpless creature now, and it's the wrong thing to do. 
and Aries immediately basically disowns her <laughs> right there and then you're the biggest disappointment I've ever had Diana pretty much um, uh, he, he actually says thou art my greatest failure there you go yeah he went from basically I, I'm so proud I'm a proud father right now to oh I hate you, you you've disappointed me uh, great shame it, you brought it, me great shame it, it, it went against his core belief essentially yeah uh, the Minotaur's back up though and chooses not to fight Diana essentially showing some understanding yeah. or respect uh, instead yeah just... Ares' whole warning is that you know if, if you don't put them down if you show them mercy then uh, you know your, your enemies will remember and they'll just come back at you with a vengeance and oh. you know this maybe proves him wrong yeah the whole point here is that, is that this recognised the mercy that was given just like Diana did Diana even says to Ares you didn't kill me and the Minotaur recognizes that kindness and sort of treats her with, you know, at least the respect of a fellow warrior and just walks back into, into his labyrinth. And Dara comes out and it ends with her looking at the sunrise. Um, it's an okay story. I, I, you know, I appreciate the kind of fail beat that it, that it, that it wanted here. Um, I'm not so sure how much I love the idea that Ares was like training her uh, as a young teen. Um, I think secret. it works uh, in context of the run as a whole, because the whole thing here is Ares is, is grooming her to be his replacement, hmm. uh, essentially. And, you know, that's that's what he's looking for, the, the next god of war. And, and that's um, he, he's hiding that from her, but not from us. This is, you know, the, those first teases of, of that, that, that this is this is his plan. Yeah, I, I think um, my, my biggest issue with the book here was probably the early sort of third of it like before it really get into what it was doing where it was just kind of like okay here she is in the island here she is in combat with her sisters i'm like okay i've seen this sort of type of diana story i i agree i will say what made this not unique entirely but unique in the modern sense is that this was presented as like a, a silver age issue with like lots of text boxes explaining mm. the thing it was very much uh, done as a th- intentional throwback and they, they kind of took that idea of doing a flashback zero issue and, and ran with it yeah i would have dialed that back a little bit i think that's actually one of the reasons why i felt the first like sort of thought the bit was tougher to get through is it was just too much of it and it felt like each page was taking a bit longer than i would have liked i think that's fair. i think i was kind of into the the novelty of it i guess um but i can see why that wouldn't appeal to everyone um i mean I, absolutely i appreciate the technique I, I just think given what was on the pages was really kind of ho-hum you know, typical stuff that we've seen before. You know, it feels like we're regurgitating old ground. So, I mean, the, the phrase is retreading old ground. I realise that. But you know what? Regurgitating old ground uh, is my new spin on it. Just uh, live with it. Uh, <laughs> It'll do. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like the beat that it actually plays. I, I like the ultimate idea of, like, you know, a story where Wonder Woman essentially learns what mercy is and why it's important to her. Like, I think that's a very noble aspiration. And... What's funny about this is that the colours here in our outfit is actually for m- much more traditional Wonder Woman than the actual run is because this is not the new 52 outfit. This is, you know, it's not even, I mean, it's not our traditional outfit necessarily, but it's, you know, reds and blues and golds. It's it's yeah. what I think of as Wonder Woman. So, it looks uh, pretty great. There's elements of that that I really like, and the art is pretty strong. So, I mean, it's probably one of the better issues the book's had, mainly because it's not tied up with... It's uh, hyper-focused, isn't it? It's hyper-focused, but it's not, I mean, it's... Everything going on with all the gods right now in the main story is irrelevant here. You know, it's, it is. It's, this is this is just seeding her relationship with Ares for the future of the book. Really, um, some of the little godly beats that I liked actually was um, there's a, a close up panel of an owl watching her 
you know, taking her first steps with Ares, um, which is a really nice touch because you know the the owl is uh, is Athena usually. Mm. Um, so just this idea that there's there's someone watching out over this, you know, the the, the gods aren't just letting Ares do his own thing with her. Um, I, I I think. <sighs> Yeah, I think for me, obviously you're saying it works in the context of the run, given what Ares' goals in the run is, but it, I wouldn't mind this story being transplanted into the current continuity. I would just take out Ares and change it with someone who, you know, so, not someone who's going to disown her at the end for, for not doing it, but swap him with someone who's just training her, who's teaching her, trying to teach her the same thing, essentially. Uh, oh, sure, yeah. Uh, and have her make the choice not to and have that kind of be a, a big character moment for her. I, I think that would, you know, that would, that would work just as well. Um, I, I, what's, what's the character who usually trains her growing up? I can't remember her name, but um, it begins with an A. I'm pretty sure, but that, mm. that doesn't narrow it down too much. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. Uh, but you know what I mean. Like, I feel like the same beats can be made without it being Ares. You know, without it being the the, the creepy uncle Ares with a big beard who comes out in there. <laughs> I kind of love this Ares though, in in that way. Um, but I think what's interesting about this issue is is. I, I know you can say what you want about the, the run as a whole and its place in continuity. This issue being established as taking place so early in in Diana's life actually functions as continuity in its own right. Because this is, okay, long before she ever left Paradise Island, this is just something she went through for roughly a year uh, of her life on, you know, growing up in Themyscira. And I think that you could tell me this was current continent. I don't think there's anything that really contradicts it. Not contradicts, but like I say, I would rather it wasn't Ares. I, 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 that's I, fair. I just don't like that element of it. So, I, I think I I quite like the idea of her learning mercy from war. I think that's a really interesting spin on on what Diana is and traditionally you know, and all of her history fighting in you know in wars and you know. In, Going, you know, all, all the stuff in comics history, you know, her, her role in, you know, in World War Two, for example, that we had this idea of learning mercy from war, I think, as opposed to kind of getting caught up in the horror of it, um, is kind of interesting for me. It's just one of those things for me where it's, it's this trope where you sort of insert some of the big villains earlier and earlier in the, the character's backstory, yeah. and it kind of bugs me. Uh, and I think there's strength in having them not encounter the villain until they encounter them, but have the animosity, have the, the tension build from there. One of my least favorite things in all of storytelling is somehow inserting a villain into into someone's past. I, I despise it with every fiber of my being. <laughs> so, uh, I, I completely get that feeling. Um, I say I think I give this more of a slide in that you know, these are gods they're around. They they make sense not not necessarily for them to be villainous and really insert themselves, but her to be familiar with them, um, to have some sort of relationship with some of them doesn't doesn't bother me as much uh, in this context as some other ones. You know, oh, there are some really bad examples of this. It's not the most egregious version of it by any means. I, it's just this. It feels like a lazy way to try and build in this uh, this personal connection. When I often feel it has the opposite effect because I can just see the the cogs working, trying yeah. to make me care in a way that you've not earned. Whereas just doing it, you know, just just having someone who meets a character, you know, character A, the protagonist meets character B, the the villain, and from that point on everything the villain does makes the hero you know hate or need to counteract them and everything they do from that point on so if you can you know like this is i can't think of a good example but look at the dark knight trilogy right and obviously joker couldn't come back because Heath ledger passed away but 
everything that builds between the Joker and Batman's relationship in that movie is not based on a single thing that happens before the t- both of them met. It's completely based on how they clash once they're actually in each other's worlds. And compare that to Tim Burton's Batman, where, oh my god, he was the one who shot the parents, and it's, it, it tries to... Oh build- yeah, I, I despise that. Yeah. Uh, it's just I it's, think... it's the first example my brain goes to, but... No, I get that. I think this one, it doesn't feel as clunky as those things, because by the end of this, Diana, she doesn't hate Ares. She, she hasn't got this huge animosity that's going to be there in the future. There's just... Uh, just a slightly awkward relationship at this point from where it is. Like, they oh, have it, quite a close relationship. It doesn't have to be animosity, though. There's several examples of them just putting the the, the, he, the villain yeah. in the hero's past just so that they're, you know, they've got a connection with them before, even if there's nothing villainous yet. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Even just look at, you know, and this is, again, not a great example because some people would say it's the best part of this, but even look at Smallville with, you know, well, Lex is in Smallville with, you know, best friend in Clark the whole time. And yeah, that, I mean... And that probably made... is the best part of it because Michael Rosenbaum's a good actor, but <laughs> Well, it's it's one of these things where I'm not saying that if you if you build your story from scratch and you've got a completely new concept and part of it is that the villain and the hero know each other their whole lives or know each other from an early age before things go bad, that's fine. Uh but there's a lot of retcon that goes on in serialized storytelling with comics, with T V shows, with whatever, and yeah. or with adaptations of these things even. And Which I think in many ways like you could refer to this as an adaptation. Like, this whole run of Wonder Woman is kind of an adaptation of, like, you know, the, the a lot of stuff from, you know, Crisis through to the New 52. This is uh, kind of an adaptation of Wonder Woman in many ways. I guess, yeah, I don't like it. What have you written this? <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a 8. I think it would have been a 7.5, but I'm going to give it an 8 because the art's really strong. I think some of Chang's finest work here. Hmm. I will give it... I'll probably get a 6.5. I feel like it's one of the better issues that they've had of this this, this book. It's definitely the best one in the last couple because I really didn't like the last one. But uh, it is more focused and makes more of a good character beat than, than, than I've typically had from this run, so... Uh, that feels true to Wonder Woman as well, especially. So, yeah. There you go. Uh, so, Green Lantern issue 31, which is the next part of her Flash by Mark Wade run because it's a crossover. So, Green Lantern 31 is uh, Mark Wade and Gerard Jones writing with Mark Bright on the art. So, this issue uh, leaves off, or starts off from the cliffhanger with of uh, both the previous issues. Of both the previous issues, which was Flash and and Green Lantern run into each other in the, in the jungle. And this issue, it, it's a little bit repetitive, and there's a lot of kind of, they're with the villains, they get away, they're drawn to the villains again, uh, a lot of it's in the jungle. <laughs> and it's one of these funny things where it's not doing it in this case, because th- this is the sort of thing that bugs me in movies, because with movies it tends to be a budget, or two, well, two things, it tends to be a poor bit of script writing, but it's also a reason to just keep having it in the same sort of location so that the budget's saved. This is a comic book. It doesn't have any... Well, they can't have bad rating, but it doesn't have any of those budgetary issues. So, it felt... Uh, that, yeah. that part that, felt that, That's a, f- a fun statement. I know artists hate when people use that line. It's like, oh, there's no budget re- restrictions. You can draw whatever you can. And I thought, that's so much work. <laughs> <laughs> well, they hate it. <laughs> I mean, that's true. But technically speaking, a forest could potentially be more work for, for a drawing perspective. Uh, than... No, it, it's true. I, they, they use it in... I, I see the example all the time where... You know, they'll have 10 ships in space show up. Mm. And people go, 
you got no budget that could have been a whole fleet and they're like but the work <laughs> yeah okay sure but the point being is that uh, a single spaceship may actually be much less effort than drawing some of a forest because it's just uh, it, one it thing well yeah i, I just uh, kind of you know wanted to point that out but yeah, so they kind of reiterate their plans a little bit again, the villains, which felt a little bit... On the, I, I didn't necessarily feel like we got a whole lot new out of this like two-page layout of the villains kind of like talking to each other, talking about what they're going to do. The only interesting thing that came out of it is maybe they're bickering, like trying to prove who's better than the other one as it goes on, sort of laying yeah. the seeds of, uh, you know. I think it felt a little weird because I really like the first two-page layout um, with, the, uh, with the actual fighting going on. I think that's really dynamically done. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, and I think the art in that is is um, stellar in the way the way it sequences. Uh, and then this one, I felt the pace kind of just grind to a halt on this one. I, I don't think it's necessarily the artist's fault, um, but I think it's part of it is that oh, it's just it's just boxes in a row. There's nothing interesting going on linking the images necessarily. And it's also then you've got all these really dense caption boxes. And it's also, for the most part, re- just reiterating information we kind of learned from the previous two issues uh, in a more unified way. It, it kind of feels like, um, yeah, how we kind of spoke about how in the last issues it felt like it was, oh, if you only read one of these, it doesn't really matter to to, to people who were picking them up at the time. This was kind of doing it for both of those issues in a weird way. Yeah, and it, so this is kind of like, well, hang on, you, you might have, you know, you, you read Green Lantern last time, but you didn't read Flash, but you're back for, you know, you know it's the crossover, so you're here for Green Lantern. Um, and it, to be honest, I think a more accurate comparison would be you read Flash last time, but you weren't reading Green Lantern on the regular. But then you learn, oh, this is a crossover, so you went to pick up the next issue of Green Lantern for the, this one, for the for the next part of the story. And this is like, well, here's everything you need to know if you didn't read that last issue. And it, it works vice versa for the, the people who didn't read Flash. Yeah, that's basically it. It goes back to Detective Trump a little bit, who's maybe coming to Gorilla City because he wants to see what it's like because he's, he's he's never met another intelligent yeah. ape like him <laughs> he's also contemplating his mortality yes uh so i mean I, this was kind of a just an okay issue for me mainly because it did feel kind of repetitive especially the way that the, the characters like you know so the villains are fighting them they get away because uh, hammond says oh we need to go uh, let's not waste our time on these we have to go deal with our definitely plan. could have just flown over the ocean <laughs> uh yes but much slower it could have got there if you just set off earlier, plan better, better timekeeping is what it comes down to. All that big brain, you can't, you've got no space for a watch. So, but you know, then, of course, the heroes just kind of run into the villains again. I mean, the villains get to the location, and this meteor, by the way, which has been here for a long time, is just still sitting on top of the ground. It's not, like, been covered by, like, you know, foliage or dirt or it. It's just... It's just... Space rock, bro. It's completely exposed for some reason still. Uh, that felt weird to me. Uh, Green Lantern does actually kind of like faint as he's flying them there in a bubble at one point, and Wally has to kind of run down and like circle and save them. Uh, the old man still kind of breaks his his leg though on the way down. It's not, it's not that much of a cushion. Yeah, he he kind of just makes a bed of like twigs and leaves for the the two to land on. He's like, ah, hell, will be fine. His ring will protect him. Uh, and yo, he's an old man. He breaks his ankle. It's brittle, and he's like, yeah, no hard feelings. But they realise that there's some weird anomalies getting closer to this meteor. Uh, some weird creatures, mutations, and that kind of thing. And when they do get to them, uh, there's, like, flowers with faces on it and everything, and they have to, like, Green Lantern has to take them on, kind of on his own. It's a whole whole thing. 
Uh, and then the big end of the issue is that Grodd actually essentially is betraying Hammond. And Hammond kind of realizes this because Hammond's trying to betray him too. Which I, I'm okay with that. That's a fun little That's idea. classic villain shenanigans. Yeah. But Hammond's trying to take all the power from the meteor for himself. And then it turns out that Grodd actually kind of supersedes it. And we get Hector Hammond head like Grodd. We get Grodd with a big head. It, um, it doesn't look great. <laughs> it looks kind of and funky. I, I'm, I'm going to not give the artist too much shit for this because I don't know if anyone could have pulled this off and made it not look kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hammond, for the record, is looking more normal now as well uh, after this. So... We, so we get this thing where Grodd becomes Hammond, Hammondified, if, we, if you will. And then so does Flash. Like, Flash, because of what's going on, he's got a big giant head now. Uh, even bigger, even. And ha- or Hal's become kind of, like, feral and, like, beastly. Yeah. I, I, I'm not entirely sure what's happened there. It's well, like, did he take Grodd's... See, I, I'd have thought he took Grodd's kind of innate personality but maybe that's what he's saying like well, his his pre-smart stuff no there was a line in the villain stuff about uh turning someone primitive uh and i think that's what's happened to hal i think hal's turned primitive okay uh there was there was a a line in there in the villain stuff about how it's, it's turned some people primitive so i think that's what's happened to hal and bar or wally sorry uh rather has hammond head somehow somehow gotten super intelligent and got hammond head headed <laughs> and it's so big he can't run he can't he can't lift himself up, up off the ground yes and he's like no hal not the power ring at the end which i thought was a really goofy line yes uh i mean <laughs> i i can't deny they're really going for it with like crossing over who the villains are and like literally swapping their kind of ideas and stuff but I have to admit, I wasn't super into actually reading that issue. It was, it had some okay beats, but that was about it. Some nice ideas, um, clunkily executed. I think this was a significantly weaker issue than the previous Greenland issue. Yeah, I wonder if this is just a, a bit of a, just a, a sort of you know, quick little sales boost crossover that that didn't really have much of an idea behind it, so it was just kind of thrown together. Uh, and I don't, I don't even know who to blame necessarily because I, w- I wouldn't necessarily want to jump to just blame the writers or especially not uh, Wade specifically on his own because there's no there's no reason to think that Wade's the one who like I mean th- there's no reason to even assume it w- it was Jones to be fair this could have been editorial nah. being like look we want you guys to do this yeah I, that, I just that don't happens. Want to, I'm just not want to defend Jones for it no I don't, I don't want to defend him <laughs> but I don't want to actively shit on him for something that he may not have done here. Yeah, this this may not have been his idea. I mean, it it may not have been. been. It may not have been. But yeah. Um, uh. But I think it's it's really notable to me that the previous issue, which felt like it felt like it was more Green Lantern-y, right? Uh, I actually thought was perfectly decent, and it's probably a perfectly fine Green Lantern run if you want to put yourself through that for whatever reason. Uh, whereas him doing the actual crossover and Flash stuff here just it felt she one day, and it it felt like. He didn't really want to be writing it necessarily. Nah. Nah, yeah, it just feels like one of these forced crossovers where it's just making both books suffer for a couple of issues. We only got one issue left, though, so it's nice and short. You know, it's not a... I mean, as crossovers go, a four-issue one is pretty manageable. Yeah, it's, it's not prolonged, so 
we'll be through it in one more issue and back to our normal reg regularly scheduled wally west flash shenanigans uh so what are you giving this one uh, i'm gonna give it a 5.5 i'll just give it a straight five right by in the middle yeah fair it's, enough. Not, it's not a train wreck but it's not you know yeah good either so there you go Birds of Prey, The Ravens, Issue 1, Chuck Dixon writing with Nelson DeCastro on the art. So I was actually very curious. I, I had read this before a long time ago, but I didn't really remember what it was. <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was hard to kind of put my, my finger on what it was going to be again. Uh, but it's actually Cheshire and a team of like C and D-list villains. I mean, maybe that's even been generous, to be honest. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing. Did you know any of them? No. <laughs> yeah, then C-list is definitely being generous. Yes. Yeah, because we were big enough fans to know the C-listers. You're right. You're yeah. right. <laughs> we know the C-listers. So it does the whole thing where it starts off with them in the middle of a situation uh, and then flashes back. So, you know, there's not really much point in talking about that opening outside of they're in a predicament and someone's got a bomb. Is <laughs> basically yeah. that. I, I think it's very much these are the counter birds of prey team in that this is, yeah. you know, an, an all-female villain squad and um, this is their issue there origin issue i guess yeah and notably there's four of them versus well i mean it's only three now at the end i suppose but <laughs> yeah and that's why i say it's all right it starts with four but yeah uh, but even three is like more than what the birds of prey have right now because i mean yeah and, and even if we have huntress you know babs is back in the you know back at the command center you know given the the, the info so in the field they're still outnumbered yeah so in, in the field right now all we have is is black canary so yeah that's worth mentioning but yeah so we they're they're going to Relasia. There's like a, a island off off at the north of Relasia, wherever. It's always Relasia in this run. Yeah, so far anyway, and we get this uh, introduction of the characters. We get uh, Vicious, uh, who, as Cheshire puts it, is a wild card but has lethal abilities to overcome her reservations about her unpredictability. She's got sort of platinum hair, and she's you know whatever. Uh, we then have uh, Termina, who's the one who doesn't make it out of this because she's essentially on something of a suicide run secretly. Yeah. No one knows, but... She's got a, a death touch power. Yeah. Uh, which actually is very effective. Uh, it, would, it should be very useful if, if they manage to convince her to stick around, but uh, not so much. And Pistolera is a gunslinger, basically, and a sniper. Uh, she, she's she's not Jonah Hex. She's not, she's not Jonah Hex. That is... Yes. Uh, so they're going to because... Basically, there's some references here to Cheshire <laughs> uh, nuking, what was it, Kurak? Yeah. And she wants the neutron energy device from this, this secret base because she wants to be able to do an even bigger explosion. So she's got nefarious plans, so it's not like we're rooting for her to succeed necessarily here. It's uh, not, not that type of thing. Uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll say I was surprised that this was actually a pretty solid read for what it was, because I, I kind of went into this expecting to be kind of like, oh, okay, it's just weird. It felt a little villain. formulaic, but I think I liked the chemistry of the team enough that yeah. it, it worked. I think, uh, obviously given as the one character we know to sort of anchor it, so... Because I wonder the first time I read this if I really knew much about Cheshire, and I wonder if that made it harder to get into like you know it's just it's one possible. thing it's one thing when it's just like four new characters versus okay i know one of them she's kind of my conduit i can get and behind it because of that i think in the writing it is intentionally aware that you probably know cheshire if you're reading this that's the assumption because all of it is through her perspective this is her team that she's putting yeah. together it's her opinions that matter it's her oh, yeah. narration boxes and it's worth mentioning as well we're saying these are you know 
like D-list their E-list their characters. It, there's a really good chance here that all three of these characters are this is their first appearance. <laughs> like that's not. I mean, yeah, well, it, that's completely fair. We're joking that like that they've picked the bottom of the barrel here, but this actually makes me just be new creations, and that's fine. Could well be, and I think it's. I mean, it's it's, it's Chesh is probably C tier at best, really. Oh no, that's fair. That's true. Um, so it's it's already not on like yeah, we're not taking big guns on this. It's uh, it's uh, it's a low key team for the for the for the birds prey to, yeah. to kind of face against. Yeah, the issue flowed very well. I I like the, the the little sort of like fill in teases of like sort of establishing what Cheshire's done recently, which was you know UK in a, a country, uh, and it sort of teases these things. Uh, it also mentions her her child as well, which is obviously interesting. Yes, that's a that's a thing that that sometimes with Roy Harper, right? Uh, it looks like Roy, kind of. Yeah, I think it's usually Roy. Yeah, there's a little panel where you see a sort of flashback of her, like, uh, you know, holding the baby with him. But, um, yeah, so there's yeah, successfully them storming this 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 base, and like there's a bunch of action sequences. The action is pretty solid. Uh, the art yeah, it's feels not the best. Yeah, it's not the best, but it flows relatively well. It's a quick enough read. Uh, the art feels very much like it's trying to keep in style with what the art in the main book is. Uh, and I think it succeeds at that. It feels like it belongs in the same family. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know if this came out like before the main series started or if it was just kind of alongside those first few issues. I don't know if this, you know, we're reading it here, but I don't know if this is exactly where it was originally published. I think it came earlier. I think the reason why it's here on the trade is because the next issue of the main book is where they're they're coming back into it. So, so it makes more sense to have this here than with all the other one shots that uh, you know they they wanted to just get into the book at that point, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, especially since they're probably quite right if this was at the end of the first trade and then there was you know six months to a year before the second trade came out like everyone would forget this issue <laughs> let's be honest this needed to be fresh in your mind i think the next one to have yeah. the, the the relevance for it but uh yeah so we find out why why you know cheshire's there she wants this this neutron bomb uh instead uh the the death touch one i've forgotten all the names Termina. already there you go Termina. Uh, she actually wants to use this to kill the 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 power essentially that's also killing her that gives her this death touch and it'll probably kill her just outright but she's okay with that she she's she's willing to do that so it becomes the rest of them fleeing as she essentially sets off this explosion and the only time that we actually go to our usual characters is that when this explosion happens on the island or it's building up to happen it cuts to babs who's like hey uh the satellites are showing some really dodgy readings from Relasia. There's yeah, something big going on. Yeah, a lot of radiation going on. We'll, we'll have to look into it. Yeah, so it sets up that they are going to be looking into it. So it just ends with the all three, like, helicopter and off the yeah. island. I think worth noting that as much as we say Termina's kind of gone and not part of this team, mm-hmm. it doesn't explicitly kill her. No, it doesn't. Um, she could her, still be around. plan is that this will kill the, the virus, I think she calls it, that gives her this ability, that the death touch, but will probably kill her alongside it. But... It's possible that, that she'll survive it because of this virus, um, and we could play with her coming back at some point. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that this virus is a result of experiments. That this 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 people who have this base, they're called Simon. It's this acronym, which no one knows what, what it stands for, but this evil group called Simon, they experimented on her and her husband, and that's what gave her these powers and killed her husband. So it's very personal for her, uh, even yeah. just before we get to why she's doing it. Uh, when I say it, well, what I mean is even before we know that she's here to try and kill herself it's very personal anyway uh her attacking this place so 
Yeah, so, so that very well could come back up uh, and we could see Termina again. But, I mean, honestly, it's, it's a decent little one-shot kind of like setting up these characters. I mean, this could have easily just been issue four. But then again, would you be disappointed if this was issue four and we didn't get much of Babs and Canary? I, I think so. I think if you do this in like, if this was in the 20s, people probably wouldn't complain. But mm. at issue four, they're still like, no, we want our new team. They, they don't want to risk sales early on in that book. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was okay though. I, I think it set up this team, and I, I like that there is like a, a female villain team to be the kind of the, the rivals of the birds. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, do they, I don't think they give themselves the name the Ravens in this, do they? I don't recall it. Oh no, she talks about it a couple of times, and oh, they're, they're, all, they're, they're all wearing the same symbol. They've got a symbol. Oh, they're wearing the symbol. I just didn't remember the name um, being uh, mentioned, but maybe that's just me forgetting. Yeah, no, she did bring it up at one point. I'm sure she did. No, that's uh, fair enough then. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I, I quite like it, this issue. It was solid. All right, what are you giving it? Uh, I'm going to give it a 7. I think a little little bit of the art, a bit wonky here or there that holds it back from being any higher. Yeah, I'll agree with the 7. I, I agree with the art. I mean, some of the faces are a little bit here or there. Uh, but it, I, I, I will at least commend it, though, for feeling like it belongs to the same family as the main book, even if it's not exactly the same. It, it does feel like it belongs in the same world. So I, I agree. It feels closer to the um the one shots like the the other the gary frank stuff that we had mm. it feels like it's imitating that versus you know because we've got greg land as the the series regular uh, artist right now and i think this is a little bit different to that but it, if it came out before that that'll be why gsc issue 12 jeff johns and david guy writing with buzz on art this is the second part of of this story it's kind of, it's kind of the wrap-up of the one side of it bizarrely uh yeah, this story is a lot more fragmented than I remember. I in my head, I think the next issue was in between these, mm-hmm. and we kind of bounce back and forth yeah. between them. That's it. When you get to the end of the issue, you realize why it's done this way because they want this cliffhanger of like, oh god, what happened on the on the other ship? You know, during oh, our absolutely. adventure. So there is a purpose behind it, uh, and we, you know, the end of the last issue was seemingly the death of Sand uh, with uh, Cobra killing him uh catalyst is like oh man this guy's crazy i'm gonna leave right now uh which gave me a chuckle uh and he starts blasting cities with his laser beams from satellites and you know super villain shenanigans and then comes mr terrific and dr midnight and we find out that in the moments before his death now it's funny because i was ready to be a little annoyed at this with how it pulled the uh, how sand survived trick here because he says, oh, it was, it's a hard light hologram and the real sand's safe, meters away. And it, and I was like, oh, so, you know, how did he know it was so dangerous, though? But this is the beautiful thing about it that I still quite like, actually, is that he didn't know it wasn't that dangerous. That This thing happened at the last possible second. The real sand did get paralyzed. You know, he did get sort of frozen still by Catalyst. That, that still happened because about halfway through the, the issue, I was like, Where's Sand? If Sand was fine, then where the hell is he the whole time? Why is he not popping back yeah. up to help? And it turns out at the end, it's like, oh, it's because he's obviously Midnight's tech or Terrific's tech's made him invisible, and eventually they use Catalyst to turn him back, but he's still frozen there in, in place. And I was like, okay, all right, all right. So it was basically a last-ditch effort to save his life. It wasn't uh, some weird... Because that, that was the problem I had with it at the first place. I was like, wait, is this some weird part of the plan? Like, they, they were ex- he was expecting? It was extremely convoluted if that was the plan yeah exactly so i was i was happy that it it, it was it just some that route. very very good improvisation 
which, you know, all the best superheroes are capable of. Of course. So, uh, that's all good. Uh, so, we have Mr. Terrific versus Cobra, and a pretty fun two-page layout. Uh, that ends when he's realizing that he's losing. Because he, he's really cocky to begin with Cobra. He's like, ah, you know, I've got X number of martial arts. You can never take me on. Uh, Terrific's like, I have 10 black belts. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, but you get, he treats at the end, he, he, you know, in a true, you know, snake-like fashion, he venoms him in the face. And actually, you know what? The, 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 the coloring and the art here uh, after this, it really looks like his face is melting off. <laughs> Like the, the the green flame coming from his face. It does. It works once you realise it's just a gas yeah. moulding around his face. It, it 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 doesn't seem wrong, but it just looks intense. It looks for that first like panel. Yeah, it looks vicious. So yeah, yeah, good stuff. So we have uh, basically it was airwave the guy the, the the villain they had in the in the the trap in the tube that was letting them use all this technology. Once the JSE let him out, he's more than happy to use his powers because he just sort of beams up to the satellites and destroys them all. And Cobra's pissed about it. Uh, and he thinks he's getting away because he did, you know, because obviously that, that Venom trick did let him sneak away during the fight. So he's kind of making his, his escape for it. He's going to use hangar for a plane. And then in comes the hand, the giant hand of, of Atom Smasher. Uh, it's huge. It's huge, yeah. Because we see him when he when he grabs the plane, the next the full page spread. Like he looks, he looks about a hundred foot tall. Like he's he's it, gigantic. Like, the the top of the trees are up to like his thighs. Yeah, he's so, he's huge. Yeah, and he, obviously this is the big thing, big dr- dramatic point of the issue is that he wants to kill him, and he's telling Cobra what he did, because Cobra's like, I don't know who you are. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't care about any of this. And he's squeezing the life out of him, and it's actually Starman who comes and talks to him about his brother dying, uh, that he's able to kind of break through to Al to stop him from murdering. But I think my favorite part of all this, though, is that he's never been this big before, and it's something that the other characters are talking about, and even later on they mention that this could have killed him. Like, like Am Smasher has never been this size before. The amount of energy and like power that it's taking for him to be this size must be, like, absolutely, like costly on his body feel like a big deal when when he's that huge and you've got you know you know wildcat going oh whoa whoa he's really pushing his limits here and and wildcat's a pretty um on the cuff sort of guy Mm -hmm. he he tends to be you know "Ah, limits who cares uh that sort of attitude uh so when he's kind of pointing this out and going no this is a big deal you kind of understand that yeah so no, the moment has a lot of weight because of that. I think it's actually the, the 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 detail that makes it feel like more than just a story trope. Because I mean, not that it does on its own, but it, it makes it feel like it has this more weight to it. The idea that he's potentially killing himself with his own power as he does this it, it sells his anger even more than just saying that he's going to kill the villain. Because you know how often does a bad guy do something and a hero goes, "I'm going to kill you because I'm so mad." Like you yeah. know, that's a pretty common thing, and it's handled pretty well. You know, on in its own right, but. Uh, I think the the element of him like possibly destroying his own body with his powers really gives it that extra that extra layer that extra bit of oomph to make it really sing. So, uh, so yeah, and back inside they they save sand, uh, and the the island's going to blow. So, uh, nice little callback here actually to uh, Starman being scared of the phantasm balls, <laughs> as he would refer to them as. Uh, where it comes into panel and we don't see anything else yet, and he's just like whoa. And you just see the speech bubble going off frame is just uh i think he's starting to like you jack i enjoyed yeah. that 
so they grab a, one of the Black Hawk planes and fly off before the island explodes. And interesting detail here. And they've got Cobra in custody because obviously he was completely crushed. <laughs> uh, Midnight's using his goggles here to like... Uh, yeah, he's got like several crushed ribs and like vertebrae and blah, blah. He's, you know, he's just listing things that are crushed. He's lucky to be alive. But they find a plaque inside the plane which says it's property of the DEO, which is very suspicious. Like, why were the DEO here on Blackhawk Island? So we get a, a page of them basically yelling at uh, Bones and be like, wow, well, you know, what's going on here? It's like, ah, you didn't need to know and lives got saved. There's nothing to be concerned about. Uh, and he's almost saved by the, the interruption here where the time ship crashes into the roof and, you know, the GSA run up and go, what's going on? What's happened to the boat? And out comes stumbling Metron, saying they've got 13 seconds before this multiverse is, is destroyed, so they have to go with him right now. That's not a lot of time to decide. I uh, I liked the touch that it was 12.89 seconds. Because it was so specific. Uh, very specific. I, I I was rounding for... No, no, I, I appreciate that. You know, okay, <laughs> you ran your head. But it, it's the specificity of it that actually makes the moment, I think. Yes, so, you know, next issue we're going to get presumably the story of what happened to the other team uh, in their yeah. quest for Extant, so... Uh, yeah, of course, and then we know that the course of these issues has to be undone uh, at some mm. point now because of how severe uh, Cobra's damage with the satellites were. You know, we see New York getting ripped in multiple cities, I think it shows us, being decimated by these things, that it's clear now that okay, we, we kind of have to undo this. Yeah, I mean, it kind of sells it in a way where you don't really get a good idea of how much the the damage is because they, because it kind of they still kind of win at the end of the day, and then Bone says you saved a lot of lives, so you almost kind of read it like, oh, it's just typical comic book stuff where okay, some damage happened, but it's enough to move on. Like how many bad things have happened to Metropolis and Gotham over the years where they seem to survive, they seem to move on from it. Uh, hell, Coast City got nuked, <laughs> like you know, yeah, it happens. and that was a pretty big deal. To be fair, yeah, it happens. Uh, but of course, the fact that the multiverse might die if they don't go and fix something does then open the door to the possibility that the events of the last couple issues might get played with a little bit. Uh, and I'll leave it there because I don't want to spoil uh, what it does. But um, but yeah, no, it's a fun issue. Uh, you know, the action's yeah. really good. It flows really well. Uh, the dramatic sort of high point of Al and Cobra is really strong. Um, you know, I think, you know, my, my one concern early on is like, okay, this is just for San being alive is a bit shaky, but it kind of saved it by the end of the issue. So, but yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I, have, I have a lot to complain about. Yeah, it all, it all tied together nicely. Um, and as much as, again, it's just my memory playing tricks with, with the format of the arc, it's unusual that it does just follow on so neatly for this point. Um because I think it, I think the reason my memory trips up is because it would be so standard to just swap between the teams each issue, right? Yeah, but I mean, um, the, the point being is here is there's the mystery of what happened to the other team. So this is oh, why yeah. this is why it's done it, and it's why it works, and it's why. Oh, it's... absolutely! It was a it was a compliment, and as I'm saying, I, the it it goes against the expected formula, and not just for the sake of it. You know, it has a good reason to do it that's effective. Um, so, yeah, uh, kudos for that. All right, what are you giving it? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give it an 8.5. Yeah, I'll just concur with that. 8.5. Uh, little to fault in it, really. So, yeah. Shazam! The New Beginning, issue 2. Roy Thomas and Dan Thomas 
uh, with then Tom Mandrake on the art. So this is the story of Billy going to find his uncle that he likes because he obviously doesn't want to be around Savannah anymore. And he, you know, he's trying to buy a bus ticket. He he doesn't have the money for it. And it's actually the, you know, the, the daughter that kind of tricked him who felt bad and actually buys him a bus ticket and, you know, wishes him all the luck. Like, on your way, you get away from Savannah. Like, you know, just go, never come back kind of thing. Uh, but even before that, though, we do have uh, the entrance of Black Adam into Savannah's lab, which it's interesting because Savannah obviously is doing all this. He's an evil little bastard. But then Black Adam shows up and immediately is like, I am your master. You do as I command as long as I see fit to keep you alive. And immediately he's begging and pleading and whimpering. And he's like, no, I thought we were going to you know, be together and take over the universe. And he's like, hi, you petty little human. <laughs> like... I, I love the uh, the, the reaction of Savannah stuff here, where he thinks he's been summoning this this being from another another dimension, another you know, somewhere else in you know in the galaxy. Mm, I like this part. And then he gets here and it's too. like it's wait, hang on, you're talking about ancient Greece. And he's like, yeah, where else would I be talking about? That's where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, no, I like the idea that he thinks he's summoning a, a a being from another dimension, and technically he is in the sense that he's coming from another dimension. But Black Adam was trapped there because he, you know, because of what he was doing in this dimension. So he's actually originally from this. Di- it's, it's it's a nice little sort of wrench in the whole idea that I feel like you don't see too often the idea that no, no, this thing's actually from here. It's just that he was trapped there for some time yeah. and a lot of time, as <laughs> as heavily implied, because uh, he's about, never seen uh, probably about four thousand years. Yeah, because he's never seen modern cities or anything. He's like, oh, maybe this is worth ruling this planet and and so on. Uh, but even that's the thing even though Savannah's begging and pleading like a little dog there is a point at the end where he's like you know he's pleading his, his loyalty and then you just get the little thought bubble saying until I find a way to uh, you know ch- you know, flip the tables bring, a little bring bit bring you to heal uh, that was the, that was the, was phrase. the phrase so uh, you know but you have um, a great dichotomy of um, Black Adam doing the same thing uh, in, the, in the same panel where you know, he's like well then you shall be my wizard as well as my slave mm-hmm. and then in the thought bubble until I no longer need you and just crush you yeah, because Savannah's like, oh, I know this world. I can direct you. I can tell you what's what and so on and so on. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, really strong opening, actually, in that sense. And I, you have the belly with the bus ticket. And he goes to uh, Vegas to meet his his uncle, who's performing as part of a variety show. And he tries to get in, but he's told that this is not a, this is just an R-rated performance, essentially, and he's not allowed in without an adult. So he's like, he walks around the, the corner and goes, well, Shazam! <laughs> <laughs> basically i mean there's a lot more thought process into it but that's essentially what he does and the woman flirts with him as he's walking in and he, he has a little moment like i've never been hit on by a girl before never mind a woman twice my age <laughs> like, you know he's, he's he's really kind of uh shot by it but he goes in and his uncle's being heckled so he takes care of the, the the hecklers and he helps his uncle out by volunteering for the disappearing trick but instead of disappearing he yells shazam inside the box so that when he comes out of the box he's billy again and his uncle's like, oh my god, it's you. And, obviously, and everyone else is like, what an incredible trick. Yeah, it's like they'll clap, it's all a big thing. And he explains to his uncle back at the, the motel, like, what's going on? And his uncle's like, of course I'm going to help you. Uh, but he can't afford a plane ticket, so Billy's like, okay, I can handle that. So he's, he's flying on Shazam's back. But they stop for burgers. Uh, and apparently Billy's like the Flash, where he just needs to eat and eat and eat and eat. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but there's a crisis here where someone has spotted something, the military base nearby, there's, there's some jets being tested and there's some UFO or something 
there's a crisis a brewing so billy's like hear that i think it would be a superhero so he runs off shazam i do like the i like a lot of the art in this book uh and how it kind of portrays certain things i love that he runs out and we just see the lightning bolt through the window uh just yeah and just the um like this the puff of smoke left behind yeah. where it's hit the sand as his uncle's now over it and he's just like yeah i'll have i'll have his burgers there <laughs> since he's off doing superheroes <laughs> i'll have the burgers just trying to casually cover for him i know uncle dudley uh it looks like he could probably lay off the burgers a little bit it has age but he's probably praying for a heart attack he might want to slow down hey, there at his age he should enjoy what the hell he wants to Carter says 20 years before his heart attack. <laughs> At least I'll have lived happily. <laughs> we shall see. Uh, so he goes to fly up and uh, help the planes, but then just out of nowhere, uh, like we, we go to a full-page spread of Black Adam punching Shazam. Uh, or I should say Captain Marvel. I'm saying Shazam because in the, the modern books you have to call him Shazam because that's what they're using now. We've just kind of got into the habit of yeah. it. Uh, but he punches uh, Captain Marvel and he goes flying... And this is actually a really nice little dark end because basically Black Adam's here to steal this plane that's got uh, a variety of powerful people on it. And, you know, Billy tries to save the plane, obviously. He goes and grabs it. There's a bit of punching back and forth as he realizes that he's got similar strength and powers to Black Adam. So it's a bit more, you know, mano a mano kind of thing. But then, you know, Black Adam goes for the plane and they're both holding out of the plane underneath. And Black Adam essentially says, look, you can fight me, but if you fight me where we are right now, this plane is going to go down. It's going to break in half. And if you don't just leave right now, I'm going to break it in half just to spite you because you actually care about the people on board. So Billy just ha- has to accept that he's lost and says, okay, I'm going. He, he gives in to Black Adam's demands. It's, it's kind of wonderfully unheroic because, you know, usually superheroes will, okay, maybe they'll bluff a little bit, but they'll find a way. But Black Adam gets away with this. He flies off with the plane and Billy's just left behind angry. Like, you know, yeah, Shazam... and it works. It shows you how fresh he is at this. He doesn't know how to deal with this stuff. Yeah, it and shows ultimately, you... he is still, you know, just a kid. Yeah, it shows you how fresh he is, but it also shows you how evil Black Adam is. It's twofold. It works for yeah. both of them. Because, uh, I mean, obviously, we have a knowledge of who these characters are, but this is supposed to be an origin that, you know, it's not the first time they've had an origin, but it is meant to be completely accessible for new people who don't know these characters. So... It, it works in that way it, Absolutely. it sets up both I mean obviously Adam has a lot of other stuff earlier on with Savannah that shows you how evil he is because <laughs> he immediately is like no I'm a tyrant I'm going to rule this planet <laughs> like that's just my position in life I think though there's a difference between that where that's standard villain 101 right? oh it is yeah so it does it's, it feels evil sure but it's just you know standard villainy it's, it's par for the course whereas this here where he kind of taunts Shazam into like no, I'm 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 gonna just kill this plane full of people if you don't do you know, do what I say, and you know him being so fresh, just being like, well, I, I guess I'm just gonna let you go then. Uh, it feels um, kind of unique. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a ballsy ending to you know an enjoyable issue. Like I say, I love the Black Adam Savannah like back and forth, like the, their interactions at the start are really strong, and then all the stuff with Billy going back to for his uncle. Um, again, some of the narration is a bit overly wordy, uh, kind of a a staple of the era but it's not like it's actually still very easy to read it takes a little bit longer but it's not like a short to read though like like cause some some older comics like they are a bit rough on the on the reading like you you kind of feel your time they can be, they can be a slog yeah where, where, where is this i'm not feeling that at all it's a little bit longer to read but it's not it doesn't feel like, like it's uh tough to do so so no it feels longer but it doesn't feel like slow paced yeah uh but you know and some of the arts are really strong i like uh 
anyway, maybe not the, the actual drawing per se is necessarily up to kind of, you know, what you think of modern comic books, but I think it does really smart things with how it presents some of the, the actions, some of the Shazam transformations, some of the, the fighting. Like, good smart things, layouts. One of the things it does a lot that I really like is the effective way it makes you... It shows you how fast Shazam is moving. Instead mm. of just speed lines, like we, you know, like we typically see, um, it actually, you know, just the top half of his body is visible, and the rest is just speed lines in the color, mm. uh, rather than. I mean, you could say, oh yeah, well, this is easier for the artist, right? They only have to draw half the body, but I mean, it, it's it's effective because it just it looks different. It looks okay if he's going that fast, I can't even see the whole thing. Uh, it's it's different. Yeah, no, that's um. And they do that smart thing as well, where both him and Black Adam have streaks that kind of match them. So you get this, some of the fighting stuff towards the end. There's like you know these different streaks. There's like a yellow and black streak, and then like a a white and yellow streak for Shazam. So it's it's really uh, well done and how it's constructed. So no, that's been that's been really good so far. This is only obviously the second issue of four, but uh, I'm into it. And uh, if anything, I, I'm, I'm feeling like this could be could be a little bit longer than it is because I'm like, oh, you know, we're halfway through now and. Obviously, it's introduced, you know, Savannah's introduced Black Adam, but I almost wish I had even more time to really bask in some of this stuff. But uh, that's, a, I guess, a good complaint to have. It's like, I wish there was more. <laughs> as, as long as it doesn't feel rushed by the yeah. end, which we have no reason to worry just yet. Oh, no, nothing to suspect so. Um, so, no, that's uh, issue two of that. So what are you giving it? Uh, I'm going to give this a solid seven. I think it's uh, I think it's real good. Uh. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go higher. I'd obviously, I'd give it an eight. I think I, I, I'm into it. Uh, really good stuff. So that is Shazam. Batgirl issue nine. Brian Q. Miller writing with Leaguer Bet on the art. Uh, start of the new arc, uh, which brings in the calculator by the end of the issue. Yeah. Uh, also, brought in um, uh, Glapian on the inks, mm-hmm. um, who I don't think has been on it before, um, and I thought it was actually really noticeable that. Um, he has a lot sharper inks than that I'm accustomed to on this book, and uh, it, it makes some stuff really pop. I like it. Mm. Uh, yeah, Steph's dealing with a random train, uh, like, bomber. The, the, the classic hot dogs around the waist look, <laughs> uh, as she puts it. Um, and, you know, Batgirl's in pursuit. But uh, that's the thing, this is like a really serious like scene. And obviously the, the threat's serious, but, you know, her, her like, sort of bumping around the train track as she's, like, complaining that she has to, like, work on her upper body strength for the grappling. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fun. It that's uh, that's one of those panels where I mentioned how I like how how sharp the inks look on it. Mm. it looks really clean. Uh, I actually really like the panel uh, on the next page where her like sort of like her like her infrared vision like she's got like the the like her her cool eyes have like been covered with it's basically what in Dark Knight when he gets the radio like yeah the, the sonar blue vision glow yeah it's like the little screens that pop up over the eyes it looks really good. Uh, yeah, and she ships in uh, wonderful panels of uh, like her kicking the bad guy when she comes in. She's mostly in shadow. Looks really good. This is mostly good art stuff and good banter. Mm. But everyone claps. Everyone cheers for her. And uh, Commissioner Gordon goes up to speak to her afterwards, and she's like, like freaking out on the inside as she often does. And she's like, "Ah, oh, you know what? I stopped a, a bomber. No collateral damage. I got an at a boy from the commish. Like she's all happy." And then it starts raining because this is this the star mark, so it makes sense. But uh, it's really good. It's, it's, it it kind of sums up the the humor. Like, she's doing better. She's getting better at being Batgirl. But she's that type of character that 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 Peter Parker esque. Where okay, something's going to happen just to oh, kill the mood. It always something goes wrong. Yeah, has yeah. to be. 
So it sets up the Wendy stuff. It explains that Wendy's father's calculator and what happened to her brother. You know, Babs kind of explains some of this yeah. narration. This is a uh, just before I get to that really quickly. I uh, I really like the um, the caption box at the top of this page. The you know, where it's like oh, half an inch of rain later. It's mm. a pretty unique way of showing the the time passing in terms of just you know x amount of time later. It's it's it's. I think it feels unique to to this story. It feels unique, but I, I think what makes it work is that. It, it it's a method because it, it's not so much about being fancy with how you t- say time has passed. I don't think that really matters all that much. I think what makes it matter and what makes it work is that it uses the the the, the description of time passing to re enhance the atmosphere it's going for because the atmosphere yeah. it wants is that there's a storm and that kind of keeps that that flowing. It's you know no it's pun just intended. It's a small touch, but it it works. So, and then this is something else where it had been a while since I've read this, but like a long time, so I'd kind of forgotten the the uh, relationship here between wendy and the calculator and uh arrow really just stole up a straight a, a whole load of stuff for felicity from from this didn't didn't it yeah i was thinking that as well wait so because it, we- it was bad enough they had to steal from babs but... yeah I, I was actually thinking what is wendy actually more the inspiration for felicity than anyone else's is it was that the the origin point she, she like a, a a combo between the two hmm yeah um so no, it really sets up some of the backstory stuff here, so that when it can pops up later, it's not like out of the blue, and we understand it, and it, make, it makes some sense. Uh, Steph meets Wendy, not for the first time exactly, but you know, the first time Steph remembers meeting her. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as, as, as the point is. Uh, but uh, we enter to a crime scene, uh, a unique crime scene where, like, it has to be a murder, but no one else could have been there, so it's essentially has to be some kind of weird suicide, uh, and you know, it's a uh, it's Nick who's on it. You know, Gordon gives us to Nick, our, our recurring cop character. It's like, hey, you, you, you want some weird stuff? Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we have Babs working on the new base, uh, which is beneath Barbara's apartment building. And she's trying to make it like, like a, basically like a, almost like a, a vanishing point within the, the internet where no one can detect anything. There's like no footprint from it in terms of looking at anything or, or traffic sources in or out. It's completely invisible. And, Steph's just bored. <laughs> Steph's just like, please give me some sort of crime go fight. She's definitely just been going around placing all those buckets, catching the leaks. Yes, that is definitely what's been happening. And again, reinforcing the atmosphere. Just subtle ways in this you know, this panel to set the scene. No one's talking about it. But it's it? just there the whole yeah. time. So basically that alert goes off uh, at the place where Nick's investigating this crime. And again, really fun where, you know, she's like oh finally a crime and you know babs is like oh well i'm just offended so it's just you know their banter uh, i like the pacing joke at the bottom where she's like anything i can get while i'm out and she's like maybe an ear fern and there's just this you know the panel of her or just blank face and then the blank face again just saying i'll see what i can do yeah it is that extra panel of yeah. just because it's the same panel just repeated um yeah. just with the the with the the, the word box the but that's what makes time. it funny but if it was if it was just the other ones let, let's say it was just one wide panel the same shot but just like with more dead space in the size it wouldn't be that funny the fact that there's the blank version first without the dialogue is what makes that funny it's absolutely that pause that makes it like I say, it, it would be fine it would still function and it would be fine but it, i don't think it would be as funny uh, as yeah. it is here where it is that that extra pause the, that makes it pop and we discover essentially what's happening, and this ultimately is the calculator, but there's like phone calls that are possessing people with what looks like nanotech of some kind. 
uh, the woman who was helping Nick, uh, the company gets it's, you know essentially possessed. I mean, that's a weird word to use because you know possession usually implies demonic. Was, uh, and... This was the, the the inspiration for deceased. Yes, yes. Tom Taylor, even Tom Taylor stole from this, stole from the best. Yeah. Uh, and you know, so so Nick encounters this other employee who's stealing this bit of tech. Uh, that the, the whoever's possessing these people again, we know it's calculated from later in the issue, but uh, whatever they're wanting, this guy's getting. And uh, Nick's almost shot. Batgirl shows up and. I do not believe the callback here. I was not expecting this at all. Where Nick goes, hey you. And she's like, hey you. It's like, you know, it's what you said when, oh, never mind. And do you know what? This was unbelievably relatable. The amount of times in my life that I think, oh, oh, I'm at that point of repertoire with someone because they said this thing to me at some point before. So I'll I'll reuse it, like, you know, a week later or something, only for them to go, what are you talking about? Like, they don't remember saying it to me in the first place. This was super relatable. Super relatable. I mean, if you say so. Uh, I, I thought it was funny. Uh, I, I, I didn't find it that relatable, though. It's funny, but it's also very relatable. Um, so, uh, the big guy, though, who's been possessed, jumps out the window, and Steph jumps with her, you know, her grapple, and she hooks onto him, and she's really struggling, though, because this is a big guy. He's a big, you know, bulky guy. And Nick goes to, runs up to try and help, but the, you know, the, 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 the bat hook just kind of slips out of the, off the guy's foot and he falls to his death. So we actually get this really dark beat here. Um, and it's really sold because, you know, she punches the wall uh, in anger. And then when it comes to the next scene in the same page and they're at the morgue, like, trying to find out, what, you know, what happened to him, what, you know, what, what did this to him. You know, she's in the back and she's all in, like, you know, shadow. And the, not only is she in shadow and there's no detail in her, but there's a shadow behind her. It really feels like there's been so many times in this book so far where she tries to pretend she's like Batman or she tries to be broody or she tries to be in shadow. This is maybe the first time where it feels genuine, where it really feels like there's a dark sort of cast over her. I think what's interesting is it's... I I didn't get that mood from it at all. Uh, For for me, she's there in the background uh, and, you know, she's got her arms crossed. She's she's shrunken in. She's just not wanting to be there, almost. Oh, no, no, Uh, that's true as well. I I don't mean that in opposition to what I said. I, I, I mean... Like, that's there. I'm not saying that she's achieving the effect through the same means or the same, you know, the same thing that Batman projects. I'm saying that the solemn, like, like inadvertently she's achieved kind of the same look in a way that doesn't feel like she's forcing it because it's coming from this other place. It's coming from this place of guilt. It's coming from this place of, of wanting to hide. Mm, okay. Uh, so... She, uh, you know, she's very upset. Babs is like, you know, you have to move on. You have to keep thinking about what we're doing here because there's no time to grieve right now. Uh, some of what she says, some of what she has in her head. But she's looking at the tech uh, on her end and she recognizes it. And again, tying into the, the, the mood, the atmosphere of the book, she says, oh, it's like, you know, thunder before lightning or lightning before thunder, whatever way around makes sense. Uh, and she is like, I know what this is. And we cut to the calculator who who retrieves the item where, you know, the woman that he possessed from the company shows up. He tells it to kill herself. We don't see it, but, it, you know, again, it's just dark on its own. Um, oh, no, we did kind of see it. Uh, the reason why I said that is because there wasn't, like, a page of her going to, like, do something to herself. The actual tech in her body just says expire and she starts bleeding from the nose. So we do actually kind of see it. That makes it even darker. <laughs> it just... it's, it's the idea that she doesn't even have to do anything. Yeah. Uh, but basically, he's got his dead son there. He's got Wendy's brother and like he's talking to him he's like oh we're going to get your sister back uh we're going to save wendy and then we're going to kill oracle and that's the cliffhanger of the book so yeah and just the the, the one beat you passed over was that it's uh babson it's apocalypse tech 
Oh, yes, true, yes, Apocalypse Tech, which he's been tinkering with, so... Yeah, yeah, that that can't possibly end badly. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that decision is really strong, and it's, 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 it does this thing where it's so fun and bubbly and so likable with staff and interactions with everyone, and then it has this dark moment where she can't save someone. You know, in, in contrast to that opening scene where I was talking about how it's technically this very serious threat, but it always feels bubbly, it always feels fun and like an action-adventure, and then you get to this beat where she, you know, the guy drops from the window and she can't save him, and every page after that feels like it has this solemn mood. It, it, it really shifts, and you feel the weight of it. You feel how much it affects Steph. Uh, and then, you know, just those little things. We talked about the transition being phrased a little bit differently to match the theme to all, all these little things. Uh, the, the pause to make that joke funny, when before it had been a fine kind of ending to the scene, you know, it, it made it this really funny thing. It's all these little touches uh, on top of just the, the solid foundation of the story. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great issue. The art is is fantastic, uh, as has been the usual for Garbit on this series. Um, I think I have one critique of the art. It's more a, a panel layout choice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when the big guy is uh, pointing the gun at, at Nick, and there is a panel where she throws a batarang at his hand to knock mm-hmm. the gun out of it, and it's kind of just in this yellow bat is the panel. Like it, it it's kind of this this pop up yellow bat. And I think it kind of, it doesn't really flow. It, it, it took me out because I see the yellow bat and have to acknowledge that and then look inside as to what's actually happening. And it didn't have the the flow to it that I'm used to in this book. Kind of, it kind of was a little bit clunky for me. Uh, I don't have that problem. I guess I'm just, I'm just not, my eyes just aren't drawn to the yellow like some people are. I think it's because it's, it's such a bright yellow color when all of the last couple of pages have been this like, you know, greens and blues, all this faded colours. So this pops, so my eyes go straight to it. So I'm looking at the yellow before I'm looking at what's inside of it. And I think that's just uh, th- the wrong way around. I should be reading that beat uh, personally. Uh, uh, really good stuff, though. Uh, what are you giving it? Uh, it's an 8.5. I'm going to go 9. Well, that's a straight 9 for me. Uh, uh, no, it's a positive it- one. It's doing great stuff with the with the character. It's it's nailing these beats throughout, uh, both fun and emotional. So I have very little to very little to dock points, and like you say, the art's very good. So no, mm-hmm. uh, nine out of ten for me. So that is uh, the last book of the week, which means we can now pick our favourites and talk about uh, our best art, uh, best book, worst book. Uh, not in that order necessarily. Uh, worst book. I mean, for me, it's. Hmm. I think, I feel like Wonder Woman most weeks will win this quite readily for me now, now that we're not doing uh, Emperor Joker stuff. But? Uh, but, I mean, Green Lantern 31 was kind of weak sauce. So, yeah, I have to go with Green Lantern 31, but, yeah. Yeah, for, for me, it was easily Green Lantern 31. And as I'm generally liking Wonder Woman significantly more than you are, I, I don't know if I'm going to have an obvious book that's the weakest, uh, yeah. you know, oh, and, consistently. And- and to be fair, Wonder Woman Zero did have a lot of things I liked in it. I didn't love everything about it, but there was a lot of things I liked in it as well. So a, a, a slightly stronger Wonder Woman issue versus a weaker issue in the Flash slot. Obviously, it was, wasn't the Flash book specifically, but yeah. uh, that slot. Um, best art of the week. Um, I've got a feeling it's going to be Garbit. I'm just looking back up the list to see if anything else sticks out at me, and it does not. It's Garbit. It's Batgirl. <laughs> That's a good choice. I'm going with Chang for Wonder Woman, though. That's fair. Uh, and then, best book. I mean, I gave Batgirl a nine. Was there anything else that I gave 
that close. I I don't think so. I don't even think anything. I think GSA was the closest with the eight point five. Um, but yeah, Batgirl for me then wins this week. Hmm. It's tough for me because I actually have three books on the eight point five. Uh, with Wonder Woman, Batgirl, and JSA. Um, I think I'm gonna give it to to Wonder Woman just for being slightly more unique uh, in the way it framed its issue, being the uh, the kind of the the throwback. It was kind of fun. Well, I'm never going to pick it for best of the week, so... <laughs> well, well, one of us might as well. I, I don't expect I'll pick it, you know, all the time. Um, I'm not even sure if I've picked it many times before this. Maybe once mm-hmm. or twice, I don't know. It's not, But it's not like an obvious, oh, this is going to be every time. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. Uh, that is our favourites. Uh, so that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, you can, of course, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, you can, of course, rate the podcast and Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us five stars in a review. That's really helpful. Uh, check out the comments from the Multiverse YouTube page if you want to check out the individual video versions that are cut up and put on there. Um, it is running a little bit behind uh, until it gets cut up, but by the time this goes out, it should be closer. And then by the time the next episode goes out, it'll probably be up to date uh, and going out from thenceforth. But uh, yeah, if you want to support us, you can support us on patreon.com slash TV uh, for as little as a dollar per month. At the $5 tier especially, you get uh, all the multiverse shows, the full versions at least, a day early, and you of course get uh, to vote on those extra slots whenever we have a, a book needing replaced in those last two slots. Obviously Shazam is getting replaced by Justice League Power Rangers, and then of course there'll be something to replace that with a vote. And whenever Batgirl comes to an end, that'll also be a vote in that $5 tier, so... Uh, to check out that uh, I will thank our Patreon producers which are the $20 and up patrons thank you to Alison M. Fordyce Tyler Hess Cindy Palacios uh, David Short Bordenow and Zammer Jammer thank you to you guys for all being producers uh, but that is us uh, get us on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast and check out the main show Comics from the Multiverse if you don't for some reason uh, but that is us so thank you once again for watching or listening we always appreciate it keep reading DC Comics and remember we record this in two halves. I can't remember what happened in the first half of the books to think of anything from there. So remember to the speed force something something DC Comics blah.